is a uh, metronome that when I hit record, the metronome starts. Anyway, I had to shut the metronome off because it was in my head. And this is too lazy to write. Uh, what's funny is, uh, oh, I'm your uh, I'm your host of this magical journey, Mister or the real John Baker. At the real John Baker on Twitter, and uh, you can uh, talk to me on the website too lazy to write dot com. The number two, the word lazy, the number two dot com. Um, but getting back to what I was going to say before I did the mandatory introduction. Um, my wife had put on her Facebook, she she posted about the podcast, and um, I think it's it says in our ketubah, which was actually uh, written before podcasting really took off, but yet there is a uh, podcasting clause in the ketubah, which is so strange. But um, my wife had written something, you know, listen to my husband's podcast, toolazytowrite.com, and some guy wrote on her uh, wall on Facebook, too lazy to listen. I don't know who he is, but he could fuck off. <laughs> oh, he could just fuck the fuck right the fuck off. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. I have a fun little uh, little show happening this week. I spoke with um, my old. Uh, she was a camp director. She was never actually my my counselor at summer camp, but she was a uh, I believe it was Merkez Chinuch, which she will explain. Uh, roughly translates to program director. Her name is uh, Ruth Rakoff, and uh, our paths actually crossed about two years ago back in Ottawa. I <clears throat> pardon me. I bumped into her at a uh, sushi restaurant. She was in town. Uh, her father was receiving the Order of Canada, and uh, and I just randomly bumped into her, and I had always had a, uh, she always held a special place in my heart, because when I was a youngster, and I, we talk about this really briefly, um, at camp, I was really homesick, and she was this really calming voice um, to me when I was nine years old, <laughs> so I got to talk to her and thank her. Uh, for that, and we actually talked a lot about this one summer, summer of 1982, when the uh, in the second half of the summer, so I guess it'd be towards the end of July, beginning of August. Um, I would say 60% of the camp population got violently ill, and um, she uh, explains exactly what happened, and the the audio comes in and out at, at places, so it's not 100% consistent, but gosh, it was so fun to talk to her. Um, she just is absolutely wonderful, and um, and I was really glad to sit down with her and, and hammer this out and, and get to the bottom of what happened at the summer of 1982. Um, anybody who was there would remember it. Uh, and anybody who wasn't there will get a kick out of the story, especially the uh, part where we all talk we, we talk about defecating on paper plates. That's what they call a teaser. You see, now you got to listen. Anyway, um, I hope you enjoy it. It was me and uh, Ruth Rakoff from her home in Toronto and my home in Virginia, and we chatted, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Ruth, Ruth Rakoff, thank you for being my, my second guest on my show, on my podcast. I listened to your other your other uh, podcast. I hope I didn't uh, offend. No, not at all. <laughs> I realized the other day I was telling my mother about it, and I ho- had that whole bit in my first one about um, hiding pornography. 
So I was a little. Every sons. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, like can't scare me. What? Um, so what have you been up to since? I mean, I saw you a while ago in Ottawa. When was that? I think your wife was actually at an interview for the job that she eventually took in Virginia. Yes, she was. So it was, I think, February maybe of two years ago. Right. So we were in Ottawa because my dad was being given an order of Canada. Right. Right. Congratulations on that again. Thank you. And I think that that was the first time that I saw you since probably about 1983. Probably, yeah. Was that your last year at camp? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, and of course, you, you and your camp sweetheart got married. We did. <laughs> so you guys have been together since, wow, for a while. Uh, 35 years. Wow. Wow. And in Toronto, you are an author? Well, I suppose. I mean, uh, yeah. I suppose. I don't know. The last thing I, the the first and last thing I published was already, uh, eight years ago. And so I'm feeling a little bit reticent to say that I'm an author. That sounds very grandiose, given that mostly I just sit in my little study and write things that no one will ever see. Oh, they'll see. I, no, you should get them out there. Yeah, well, easier said than done, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's the plan. Right, but that's why I started to do this, because I'm just, I, I have all these ideas and I don't really want to write them down. Um, so I actually really like writing. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know if likes the right word. I think compulsion is probably more what it's about. As my brother Simon says that as a stand-up comic, he says it's not a profession, it's a character disorder. That's his t-shirt, I believe, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> I'm bummed out because I never got to see him perform um, in Ottawa because I think we moved and he had been he was booking some shows there and I never got to to get there. I'm hoping that maybe our paths will cross if I go back to Ottawa one day or if he makes a tour stateside. Which I'm sure he would love to do. In the meantime, you could you could uh, buy his CD or download it from iTunes or something. At simonrakoff.com? Probably. I might do that. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to talk about, um, because when I tell people the, about, about camp, about summer camp, I always tell them about the summer of 82. Okay. And the, um, well, when I, when I sent you the text, I said we had dysentery, and you corrected me. It was not dysentery, right? It was not dysentery. It was viral encephalitis. And what causes viral encephalitis? Um, so it's, it's a virus, so it's probably airborne. They came and they tested the water and the, you know, the hygiene and all of that, and nothing actually showed up. You know, viruses are kind of mysterious. So it wasn't anything that um, that required changing anything or that we were uh, culpable for. But... Um, yeah. So I think. How, sorry. how old, John? Sorry, I'm just trying to figure out how old you were then and how old I was then. So I'm, I'm, I just turned 47. Um, okay. So I would have been 
uh, 11 in 82. Uh, yeah, so I was not quite 19. Okay, so this is, yeah, this is sort of what I wanted to get at. So here we are, we're at a summer camp in Ontario, in Cloyne, Ontario. I'm, you know the scene, but I'm trying to set it for those unfamiliar with Labor Zionist youth camps in Ontario. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a few. <laughs> um, so, so you are the, your title is Merquez, right? Uh, it would translate to program director. Okay, so you're the pro you're essentially second in command. Yes. Okay, and you're not 19 yet. I'm not yet 19. And biggest population at the camp that we've ever had. We had 150 people there, including staff. I believe that was including staff. It might have been more with staff, but I don't think so because the camp was only licensed for 150 bodies okay might have been a little bit more than that i don't know but we we weren't in violation of anything uh in terms of our licensing because there were all sorts of concerns given that we had this outbreak that we had to bring officials into the camp and we were you know there were a lot of concerns but we can talk about that after. so you're this uh young woman barely not 19 yet I, I remember, because I only came up the second half that summer, and there that's, I think, when it started, right? In the second half? Uh, probably. I don't remember exactly when. See, I have a, so I, I have a different recollection of everything, because I was but a child. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so this happens. People start getting sick, like, like sick. Like, I had, to, I, I went home for a few days. Um, yeah, like, Ambulances going in and out of the camp. Right. Um, like scary sick. And who's running the show? So that would be me because the guy who was uh, the the first in command, so to speak, took off. Just gone, vanished. Vanished. Took off for three, four days. Wow. Just couldn't cope. So there I am, eighteen years old, responsible for the programming for hundred and fifty people. I don't know if it's kids or camp or counselors or whatever it was. And I'm getting um, a, uh, told by medical people who are not at the camp that until we figure out what it is, um, I cannot do any programs that require or involve kids getting in the water. So okay. no waterfront activities. Okay. No exertion activities. So that means no sports. Okay. Um, you know, which was okay because it was the kind of camp where really we just sat around and entertained each other most of the time. Yeah. Um, uh, let's put on a show. We were like the 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 next to original. Uh, what was the name of that show? The Spanky's Gang or Our Gang? Oh, our Gang, yeah. Where really they just you know they had to invent entertainment all the time. That was what we did, but. But so I wasn't allowed to do any sports, no water activities, nothing with with contact, like no spit swapping, which, uh, okay. yeah, you go control that at a summer camp. <laughs> and, and, um, and so there I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with the, all the kids who were left standing, because there were, I, I think about 30 people got sick. I don't remember exactly how many, but, but I think it was about 30 people got sick, and I'm uh, exhausted because I'm running a show and I have no idea what to do with all these people who need 
activities all day, every day. And I'm getting y'all to write things like letters to Soviet Jews <laughs> as activities or, or schnitzel board. Do you remember what schnitzel board is? No, what was that? I don't remember that. So schnitzel board required a great deal of preparation, but basically you divided everybody into teams, you know, so there were about 10 teams or eight teams or 12 teams or whatever. And everybody got five minutes to uh, complete um, a puzzle or a, um, you know, captions for photographs or guess what things were. And then it got passed to the next group. So it was almost like a round robin thing. But it was, you know, stay up all night and prepare it kind of activities or, you know, paper bag dramatics or crap but it was i was begging 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 the doctors i won't mention names to close the camp right i was and they said if we close the camp it'll never reopen i guess that was the right call even though it was exhausting you right call i was the one who was holding it all together yeah so it, it, it was probably the right call for the camp, but it was probably an unfair call for me. And they didn't, like, I, I remember some of the doctors who were there, um, and that, that was it. Like, they didn't offer any, like, let's find somebody from the outside who can come in and sort of help you out, be your assistant, or it was just all on you and the... So it wasn't really overt that the the other guy had taken off it was kind of like he just went missing oh just i couldn't deal and disappeared did you ever find out where he went i don't remember i you know i don't remember there's i have a really good memory for anecdotal stuff that i was present at but i don't remember stuff that i wasn't necessarily there for so so where he was wasn't really it wasn't a concern I mean, it was it was pre cell phones and stuff. It couldn't yeah. reach. I didn't know where he was. He probably went to Toronto or something. Or Myers I don't Cave. know. Uh, yeah, no, he probably he probably went back to Toronto and and you know was just hanging out at home or something and trying to not deal with this craziness that was going on. Because well, he would have been what twenty maybe. He was a bit older than that. Okay. Um, he was probably. Um, so I'm trying to remember cause he was in high school already towards the end of high school when I was about, when was I in high school yet? So yeah, he would have been three or four years older than I was. So okay. he would have been about 23 or something like that. Okay. Um, are you still in touch with him? No, I've tried to get in touch with him actually. Um, I don't know if you remember Moti Berlad. Yes, I, yeah, I remember him. So Moti and I are still friends. I'm still friends with a lot of people. Oh, wait, was Moti a uh, land sports guy? Yeah. I remember him. Okay, so I think he was there in 80 when I, I don't remember him after. Eight, I was, I was, <clears throat> so you don't, I don't know if you remember this. I was a, like an incredibly homesick kid, like more than, it's funny because now that I like look back on the panic disorder that I have. Like, I'm pretty sure in 1980, I would have been diagnosed now. If, you know, if if it was me now, I would have been diagnosed with some sort of panic disorder back then. Because I was, like, out of control homesick. And you were, like, this really calming voice to me as a nine-year-old. 
So, yeah, so I, I remember that about you, which is why I've always had a fondness for Ruthie Rakoff. Oh, so, um, I, I, I guess it wasn't obvious that I had no idea what I was doing or talking about most of Because then, in 1980, we're talking, so 83 was not the year of the virus, sorry. 82 was the year of the virus. Right, right. My first year at Gesher was 80. Right. So 1980, I was a second year counselor at age 17, 16. I wasn't quite, was, no. Yeah, I was 16. Wow. I was 16 years old. I was a first year counselor in 1980. I remember um, on the last day of camp in 1980, I was getting ready to go on the bus and there was a CIT who wanted, <laughs> do you talk about remembering things? He, he wanted to borrow my Herman collection, okay? I had, like, Herman the car, the comic. Remember Herman the comic? I had Herman volume one, and he wanted to borrow it. And I was like, I can't give it to you. Like, my parents bought this for me. And I lent it to him. He promised me he would mail it back to me, and I never got it. Do you remember his name? Yeah, I do. Should I say it? It was Lenny Roth. Oh, okay. I don't know Lenny Roth. And I searched him out on Facebook. <laughs> And I was going to send him a note and it was him. Like it was the guy. I remember, I remember him and, uh, you should send him a note. Yeah. And say, where, where's my damn Herman book? <laughs> my Herman comic book? I bet you it has my name probably written in it too. Like in the front property of Jonathan Baker. Books that you lend so that people feel guilty when they see it years later. Yeah. Maybe his kids found it years ago. If he, I don't know if he has kids, know. but that's like the beauty of Facebook. You find out like, you know, I, I'm in touch now with more people from camp, I think, because of Facebook than we lost touch for a few years and and then, you know, hooked up on this miracle. Yeah. So I've remained friends ongoing with a lot of the people I went to camp with. A lot not, but a lot I have. Yeah. Um, but the one, so the the centerpiece, I always think like if this, if that summer of 82 from a child's perspective was ever made into a, a film, the the centerpiece of it would be the... I know exactly what you're going to say. What do you think I'm going to say? Going up to camp and making us all shit on plates. You, I was going to say defecate on plates, but sure, okay. So, so I remember where the bathrooms were, which is, I, I love it now that the bathrooms there are a museum. <laughs> My kids have all gone through the camp. Oh, they did, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you were going regularly over the years for visiting day. Yeah. In fact, so my youngest son is going to be the CIT counselor this summer. Oh, oh I'm not supposed to say that. It's not public knowledge yet. Anyhow, I doubt that any of the kids who are going to be in this group are going to hear this. Yeah, or I could edit it out. You don't have a wide listening audience, but there you go. No, it's my mother and a neighbor and, okay. and the last person who I, who I interviewed. And you, and then the next person I'm going to interview, he listens to, so. Okay, well, there you go. So, so all of us. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, so he he's going up probably, probably his last summer, and my middle son has actually been running the kitchen there for the last three years. Oh, wow. Um, and is not going back this summer. He's found another job? I'm not sure what his plan is. Okay. He'll but let's just dial it back for a second okay. and talk about the shitting on the plates. 
what was what was the point of that? <laughs> so I guess as eleven year old, you don't remember. Um, the point was that when things became um, obviously a problem, uh -huh. um, we eventually did have to call public health. We had, I think, we had ten ambulances in and out of camp, rushing kids to the hospital. Like we we're talking about viral encephalitis means your brain is swelling. Okay, it's okay. not. It's not like it's not a cold. It's not an outbreak of lice. It's not, uh, you know, pink even eye. pink eye. It is serious, right? It's it's like hospitalization stuff. So some people were hospitalized, and but at that point, it, we really, you know, public health got involved, and they needed to come up to the camp, and they needed to uh, figure out what was going on and if there was any. Um, you know, sort of contamination that we could control. So they were testing the water and they were testing um, person to person mm -hmm. stuff. And you do that rather than giving the whole camp um, uh, blood tests, I guess, they were doing stool samples to see if we were all carrying some kind of bacteria or parasite or something. That was because uh, I guess there's there's parasitic encephalitis uh, things, bacterial encephalitis, viral encephalitis. Um, so they needed a. I don't think everybody had to do it. I think they needed a, uh, you know, sort of a across the board random sampling of a certain percentage of people, okay. and so they came up to camp. And they came into the dining room and um, they told us all that we had to, that a certain number of people had to volunteer. And I, if I'm not mistaken, um, there were some people who were extremely eager to volunteer. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and now that I've raised a bunch of boys, I, I kind of get it, you know. Sure. It, Who wouldn't it, want to shit on a plate? Me and, and, and so they explained in graphic detail. Um, and because I was head honcho at that time, I kind of had to take the lead. Uh -huh. And, and um, we had to go to the bathrooms and take a paper plate with us. And the paper plate and cut it with a knife. Yep. I and then put a piece of it into a bottle that had some kind of fluid in it. Yeah. And then and then it and the lid of the bottle had like a little spatula plastic spatula <laughs> stuck to it. And you had to close the bottle you had to stir it around in the Ugh. fluid close the bottle so it was really revolting and what i remember is again that i had to be the first one to do it and so off i went to the bathroom with a bunch of girls in tow i don't remember who or what and so there you are you know you take your shit on a paper then where do you put it right and oh so, yeah so one by one these paper plates with turns on them are dropping to the floor of the bathroom stalls and it smells <laughs> anyhow that I, enough about that 
See, that's. But, but I. But is that what you remember? Yeah, pretty much. I remember standing in the line in front of the the bathrooms, getting the plate and the 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 cup you described, and going in. But I, I remember like not having to go. Like, and it's a lot easier to give a urine sample if you don't have to go, because urine's just always there, right? Right. Like you're always able to just squeeze some urine out. But stool is a lot harder. But I remember, I remember, um, I remember somebody walking up and down the line, going, "I gave it the office." <laughs> Probably Sammy Goldstein. Probably. I hope Sammy will listen to this. Well, I'll tell him to. I'm in touch with him. Because yeah, he texted me something, or he Facebooked me something the other day. I can't remember what it was. Okay. Might have been about my last one. Anyway, I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I remember about that. Um, and I, I, but I also like, it's funny cause I don't look badly at that time. <laughs> like as a camper, it was, I mean, I got to go home for three days, I think. And, uh, I don't know. It was fun. I, I think we all slept in different cabins. A good job because that means that I managed to keep you busy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember there was one, uh, bunk who were like on a canoe trip or something when the whole thing broke out. Right. And then didn't that become the quarantine cabin? I don't remember. Yeah. I remember, or maybe that was another time. Maybe that was, I remember having the flu a few years later and missing my final, I was a CIT and I missed my final, um, like Shabbat play. Ah, okay. Yeah. If anybody who's listening to this, (laughs) they'll figure out we're Jewish. (laughs) Yeah. So, um. So that propelled you to what after being? Um, So that actually propelled me. It's an interesting question and not as bizarre as you think, um, you know, given the the elapsing of time since our last meaningful conversation, but um, which was probably about poop. So the following year, I actually, having done this, you know, very responsible, overwhelming job. I really didn't want it to be my last summer at camp because it wasn't fun. Right. It it was not a fun summer for me. And so I begged to go back as canoe instructor. Tripper, oh, okay. Because I wanted to have a job where I could mostly be out of camp mm-hmm. so that I didn't have to do, so I didn't have to be too present. Right. And, and um, they, they said no. You're a girl. Oh. Yes. And I said, tough titties. I'm doing that. Yeah. And I begged and I begged and I begged. And then I, they finally agreed to let me do it and um, forced me into situations where I had to prove myself all summer long. Really? Uh, yeah. It was, it was a... Um, it was an uphill clawing battle. Um, so that set the stage for my, um, my feminist awakening, I suppose. Okay. Um, uh, and so what have I done since then? Well, I went to university. I got a really, really meaningful and useful degree in English literature, which has, you know, provided me with, with, uh, untold fortunes of wealth mm-hmm. and um and then uh 
uh, Tommy and I moved to Israel, oh. where um, where we lived for about four years, and he was a musician, mm-hmm. and I worked my ass off supporting him as uh, an English tutor and a waitress, and I studied hotel and restaurant management, and uh, was trying to get into management, and was told that as a woman with a an education, I was a threat to the level of uh, management and that I would never get promoted because I wasn't sleeping with the right people. Oh. You were sleeping with Tommy. I was sleeping with Tommy, <laughs> but he didn't have any any power over the situation, yeah. my, my professional situation. Yeah. Um, and at a certain point, I sort of felt like my self-esteem became... Uh, you know, vaporized, and I said, "Okay, it's it's time to leave. I got to get out of here." And so then we we traveled around the Far East for seven months and came to terms with um, the quashing of our Zionist dreams, and moved back to Toronto, where we have essentially been ever since, with a few uh, duckouts here and there. And he went back and got a university degree, and then another university degree, and we had a few kids, and I. I've done a a whole bunch of different jobs, uh, generally in nonprofit management, often in education, uh, sometimes in healthcare-related things, and um, and I've never really kind of found my my calling except to write, but writing doesn't pay the bills. So I'm always caught a little bit between this, you know, and Tommy's a musician, so we both have these, you know, creative artistic needs right. and um, and a middle-class lifestyle. So... Um, now, we, uh, sorry. No, go on, go on. No, I wanted to say, I wanted to ask, the, the book you wrote, you said it's been eight years since that was published, right? Mm-hmm. And that, I remember, I think I... I th- were you interviewed on Canada Am at the time? Uh, yes, I believe so. So the book was about your. Uh, can we talk about this? Are we cool about yeah. it? Okay. I wrote the book. It's out there. Anybody wants to read about anything? <laughs> so this was about your cancer. It was about my cancer. Yes. And you're cancer free. I am cancer free. In fact, um, it's. Uh, where are we? March. So it's twelve years since. The end of chemo. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I'm good. I'm great. Good. That's that's great to hear. That's yeah. I'm very happy. Um, and it was I should see I didn't do any research. I just figured I'd make it up on this one. I remember the word couch was in the title of the book, right? Yeah. So it's called uh, When My World Was Very Small, a memoir of uh, family, food, cancer, and my couch. Right. Um, and basically what happened was that I, so I've always made things, mm-hmm. um, uh, you might remember me as the arts and crafts counselor Sure. before they put me in charge of everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's a natural progression, right? You go from A and C, Malachat Yad. Well, I'll tell you the truth now that you're a grown up, John, the truth is that as the arts and crafts counselor, you have the, the, uh, key to the arts and crafts cabin, right. which people come and ask you for a lot, oh. as that's where people go to smoke weed and have sex. Uh-huh. So I really was in charge of the important thing at camp for a long time. I had that key. 
Wow. I'm, see, I never went as a staff, so I'm finding out all of this amazing <laughs> stuff. Well, I uh, I seem to think before we I want to talk about the the book and but I really when we would have chugim or hobbies as our listeners would want to know what chugim are, um, in my memory in my recollection they only seemed they weren't a regularly scheduled theme or day or uh, day, and it always seemed to me it was like when people were high we would do these weird things. Um. So. I, no, people weren't generally high during the day, at least oh, not good. era, usually at night. Um, uh, and I think you might be referring to me and Steve Eichler. No, no, I'm just talking in general. Oh, okay. Like uh, I, I remember one hug, we went to, um, may her memory be a blessing, Mrs. Holly's abandoned house. Because uh, she had died, and we basically broke into the barn next to her house and rummaged through her stuff. So I'm sure there's a felony or two in there. But get me started on the felonies committed in the in the interest of creative pursuit. <laughs> anyway, we'll put that we'll put that aside. We can come back to this in a in a year when this podcast is huge, um, right. And people want to follow up. But so so the book. Tell me you so you wrote the book. Here's what happened. Basically, um, I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer at age 42. I had three young kids, and I was treated extremely aggressively, uh, which is kind of the way it's done when you're, as they kept telling me, 20 years too young for the diagnosis. And so for the better part of of a year, I was essentially uh, out of commission. Mm -hmm. And, And... you know, my community swooped in and took care of my kids and my family and my, you know, and I sat on my couch. And when I started to come out of it and feel a little bit like myself, I felt the need to make something. But one of the chemo drugs I was on affected my nerve endings in my hands and feet. And so my preferred form of outlet, which used to be sculpting, wasn't realistic I, my fingertips hurt okay and they still they still feel funny that's like one of the residual things that i that i have a kind of a bit of neuropathy in my fingertips and so i'm still not sculpting so i started to write um and i was i was writing my it was it was therapy i mean i was kind of processing this this experience and uh and to a large extent, my, my gratitude for not cancer. Cancer is not a gift. Screw anybody who tells you cancer is a gift. It's not a gift. Um, my gratitude for the people in my life okay. Who, okay. who really stepped up uh, in so many ways. And so the book ended up being almost a love letter to, to all the people who I was grateful to. Okay. Um, but I wasn't writing a book. I was just writing. And my brother, uh, my, my late brother, um, was a, uh, a writer and a really good writer and a really talented writer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and I didn't tell him I was writing. And uh, after about a year, I, I, I told him that I had been writing some stuff. 
and he said, oh, I'd like to see it. So he was the one who said, this is publishable. Okay. Which, which was kind of surprising to me because I didn't write it for the purpose of publication. But then I started sort of investigating what that meant and what, how, how you go about doing that. And it's kind of a daunting process. And, um, and I used some of my, my Israeli-acquired chutzpah. Okay. And um, emailed some uh, agents, uh, like the head of age, uh, literary agencies, directly, as opposed to going through the usual channels by, by sort of sleuthing out their email addresses. And the one agency that I was told that I should approach had this super rigorous, um, uh, what's, what do they call it? Uh, like the way you have to present your like work. Like a pitch or? Yeah, but it's not a pitch. You have to do a, um, it's like a whole thing. You have to fill out a questionnaire and oh, you okay. have to, you have to, uh, and what they want, one of the things that they wanted me to do was to pigeonhole the writing and say, this is a, you know, like a cancer memoir, but I didn't really feel like pigeonholing it that way. Cause, cause I actually think it's not like, it's not a, a stroll through cancer land. Okay. <laughs> and it is, that's the backdrop, but it's, but it's, um, you know, that, that doesn't sound funny and it's actually kind of funny. Right. But, um, and then the other thing they really wanted me to do was to, um, write something that explained why my uh, work was better than anybody else's in the similar genre. Okay. And I, I, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I didn't want to diss other writers. Um, and so that was the point at which I kind of uh, took a step back and called my brother up and said, um, can I call... Uh, your publicist at your Canadian publishing house and just have a conversation with him. And he said, sure, go ahead. He's not going to do you any favors. He's in the business of selling books. I said, great, no problem. So I called him up and I, and he said, yeah, send me, you know, send me some of it. And maybe I'll take a look and tell you what direction to go in. And so I sent him about, I don't know, two or three chapters. And he read it, and he, he got in touch with me. He said, send me the rest. Oh, okay. And so I sent him the rest. And then, you know, things don't move quickly in publishing. And so it was, you know, blah, 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 blah. You're sitting and waiting for somebody to read your, basically to tell you if they like your baby. Uh -huh. And you're waiting for them to tell you, and they take six months. And then they call you up, and they say, yeah, no, actually, uh, they don't want to go in that direction. I said, okay, you know, thanks a lot. Um, Christmas rolled around. I sent him a Christmas present just to, because he had been really nice and gone to bat for me and everything. And um, he called me to thank me and he said, I just, um, I just ran into the head of our paperback imprint and she asked me what we did with your manuscript. She really liked it. And I told her we passed on it and she said, uh, revisit it. So we're revisiting it. And uh, he kind of went to bat for me and and, uh, and so they published it. Um, which was kind of a surprise. And um, they lost money on it. 
but it's out there, and that's the important thing, right? There, you know what? It sold almost two thousand copies, which I think is pretty cool. Uh huh. And um, you know, I've gotten all sorts of emails from people all over the world saying your book was, you know, my Bible while while I was, uh, you know, helping my wife through her cancer treatments and stuff like that. So that's kind of cool. So it's, re- I guess, it was relatable to a lot more people. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, I think, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up because I think we've we've covered everything and more that I wanted to cover. But I have one final question for you. Okay. And, and I then think. I have a question for you. Okay, for sure. Um, it's not even like it's not an important question at all. But if you were to be on a talk show like a Letterman or a Colbert kind of thing, well, I guess Colbert now. What music would you want the band to play you out to? When they say, ladies and gentlemen, Ruth Rakoff, what are they playing? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I really don't know because you kind of want something upbeat, yeah. right? Yeah. Probably something Latin. Okay have to think about what that is okay but latin's good yeah probably something you know what's funny um i want to try i want to try i'm facebook friends with one of the guys from the band the monks he has no idea who i am right (laughs) but i want him to come on my podcast and he's not getting back to me so maybe i'll use some of ruth rakoff's is really chutzpah and just call him yeah well you know and sometimes you say oh i got your name from so and so when you did yeah that's true you just kind of have to push your way through doors sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, what were you going to ask me? I I know that you have brothers, and I remember that one of your brothers is David. Yeah. Is that correct? And are you, where are you in the birth order? I think I'm like you. I'm the middle. Are you the middle? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the overlooked middle child. And so, so is David older or younger? Yeah, David's the older one, and then my younger brother, Alex, is actually, he's in Toronto. Alex, I couldn't remember his name. Yes. He was too little. Yeah, he is, so he's, I'm 47, he's 43 maybe? I think he's turning, yeah, he'll be 44 in August. Yeah, so I don't even know if he would have been around at camp at all when I was there. No, probably not, but he ended up, he was rushed for, I think, two summers. Oh, really? Yeah, in the 90s, so every summer I would go up with my, well, she was my girlfriend then, but she's my wife now. And and we would just kind of hang out there for a weekend or so. It was great. Well, we used to do that when our kids were little. You'd go for the weekend? We'd go for, like, I would miss them and I would just go. Yeah. We'd hang out at camp for a few days and we were like, you know, we were camp royalty. So we were, nobody questioned. We were there. That's great. (laughs) All right. Well, look, this was great. I'm so glad we caught up. More than over sushi on Bank Street. Yeah. And um, I hope that you can find something in my ramblings of any interest. It's all interesting. I love it. Thank you so much. And say hi to your husband and kids who I don't know, but say hi to them for me. I will do. Okay. Take take care, Ruth. Bye. Take care, John. Thank you. Bye. That's it. That was my interview with Ruth Rakoff. Um, The always entertaining, the... Interesting, the thoughtful, the sincere, and the beautiful Ruth Rakoff. Always had a soft spot, like I said earlier, for her. 
Um, well, like I said earlier, I always had a soft spot for her because she was just an absolute angel to nine-year-old Johnny Bakes. And uh, I've never forgotten that, and it was so great to catch up with her. And um, grab her book if you can. It's available online. And uh, see her brother Simon if you can when, uh, when he is uh, touring uh, comedy clubs. Very funny guy. But, um, but next time, well, I'll do my next show where I just ramble for about a half an hour. And then the show after that, um, I talked to my old friend, Paul Harris. Uh, I hadn't talked to Paul in a long time and we were supposed to do the interview and there was a problem with the, uh, the setup here, but we're going to do it. But I was able to talk to him just to catch up, <clears throat> excuse me, which was just an absolute blast because, um, Paul and I were, uh, roommates together in the early nineties on a kibbutz in uh, southern Israel. And we've maintained this friendship for quite a while. Um, and it, it was great to catch up with him. And uh, like I said, it was more of a social, what he been up to. Talked about some people. Um, uh, and we're going to really get into what he's been doing and, and probably reminisce about our time together. Anyway, I thank you for listening. And you can... Uh, Listen to past episodes on iTunes. It's also now available on Google Play, and it's always available on twolazytowrite.com. The number two, the word lazy. The number two, the word write.com. Uh, I can be reached at the real John Baker on Twitter, or you can uh, message me on the uh, website. So thanks for listening. Have yourself a great day, a great week, a great uh, month. I don't know when you're listening to this. Maybe maybe you already had a great day. I don't know. Maybe it's the end of your day. You're lying in bed. I apologize for the audio being a bit wonky in places. I'm going to work on that. And thank you for listening, and have a great week. I will talk to you soon. Bye now. To listen, to write, we'll